All right, good morning. This is the Marin County District Board of Directors regular meeting for November, November 6th. And I am gonna have our clerk, Kate Burt, explain um, what's going on with our technology today. Yes, we are having uh, technical difficulties. So we have no video on the Zoom portion of this meeting, but we do have audio. All right, so all of you out there in Zoom land, um, when it comes time for public comment on any items, um, you'll still be able to raise your hand and you'll be called on um, and we will be able to hear you just as you can hear us. So um, let's see, first item business is considering approval of directors request to participate remotely. Since everybody's here, we don't need that. So let's do a roll call, please, Kate. Yes, I will now call roll. President Rice? Here. Vice President Colbert? Here. Second, Vice President Lucan. Here. Director Moulton Peters. Here. Director Rodoni. Here. Director Sackett. Here. Director Bushy. Here. Director Casisa. Here. Thank you. We have a quorum. All right. Thank you. So next item is open time for public expression for items that are not on our agenda today. Is there anyone here in the chambers who would like to speak during open time? Okay. Anyone online, if you could raise your hand, please. Yes, I will also read the instructions for how folks can participate in the meeting. At today's meeting, in-person comments will be held before virtual comments. If you are joining us on Zoom and you would like to comment, please use the raise hand icon located on your screen. If you're participating by phone call, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it is your turn to speak, your name will be called and you'll be prompted to unmute your device. You will then have two minutes to speak. This concludes the instructions and I will check for raised hands on Zoom. There are no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Um, we are on now to Board of Directors matters. Is there anything a director would like to raise related to the transit district? Seeing no one, then we will move on to the general manager's report. Um, Ms. Whalen. Good, good morning, President Rice and members of the board. Um, I have a very brief report today. Um, let me, Kate, if you want to dance the slide there. Uh, some, some good news is that we did have our annual Marin Access Staff Appreciation event on uh, the 25th uh, last month, and uh, it was held at the Marin Access Operations Facility on Kerner. The event is created by the Marin Transit Paratran Marin Paratransit, excuse me, Coordinating Council, uh, with the purpose of providing a forum for uh, expressing appreciation for all the staff uh, on behalf of the riders, the Marin Access riders and Marin Access staff, including the operators, dispatchers and reservationists, travel navigators were all there and uh, management staff, of course, attended and were treated to lunch. Um, and we had the opportunity to chat with the PCC members and everybody there and, um, and our staff was, was there as well. Um, it's something that the, uh, we all look forward to each year as it gives us an opportunity to thank our frontline staff that keep uh, Marin Access moving. And I just wanted to note that in um, today's meeting, we have Teresa Jones and Josh A. Holloway from the team. In fact, they're on the picture there. <laughs> and uh, so I just wanted to thank them for supporting us throughout this. Next slide. So then turning to our monthly monitoring report, um, this is the graph that we show every month that compares the current fixed route ridership to uh, ridership from the prior year. The gray line shows last year by month and um, the red line shows uh, ridership for the first two months of the fiscal year. So the short little line there. Uh, you probably know that our ridership has uh, been hovering around 90% of the pre-COVID ridership. 
since about March of 2023, in fact. So we've been at, we, we got to uh, the high 80s pretty quickly and, and have then been around 90% since March. And August cont continued that trend, we're at about 90%. We are showing some modest year-over-year -year growth, which you can kind of see here, where, where we're about 3% over prior um, uh, month. And anyway, that yeah, so that's, uh, that's fixed route. Then next slide, Kate, turning to demand response, um, Marin Access ridership was about 40% of pre-COVID levels uh, this month, which is up from 35% of pre-COVID levels uh, last month. So our, our ridership there started to decline. You may remember back in September of last fiscal year, and it, it dropped below our FY22 levels. And it's still below those prior year levels, but we are seeing big growth, as you can see here. There's 20% month over month growth. And uh, we think that may signal a change in, in the recent ridership trend, but it's a little bit too early to tell. We are doing a deeper dive on why that is. Um, yeah, we're looking into some very specific things. So we'll come back to you with our the results of, of that uh, in the coming months. Just a last closing comment here is that there are uh, additional detail analysis of system performance trends in our quarterly and annual reports. And um, that includes the route level statistics. So you can look at it route by route and the financials. And we'll hear a presentation in today's agenda on the annual performance report. So that's coming up. And that concludes my, my report. And I'll be happy to take any questions. All right, thank you. Many questions for our general manager. No, all right. Um, okay, no questions, Nancy. So then uh, um, is there anyone here in the chambers who'd like to speak on this item? See none. Kate, is there anyone online? I see no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Okay, so now we're on to item five, which is the consent calendar. Uh, directors, any questions or comments on any of the items? Anyone like to pull anything? All right, I'm not seeing anything up here in the dais. Uh, is there anyone out in the public who'd like to speak to any item on the consent calendar? I see no one in the chambers who'd like to speak to. I've seen one person who wants to speak to the consent calendar. I'll get to her in just a second. <laughs> um, and is there anybody online that would like to speak to an item on the consent calendar? There are no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. All right. So, Nancy? Uh, yes, we would like to remove the item 5B on the board meeting date calendar. We do want to make some minor adjustments due to room availability. Okay, we'll thank be you. Back next month. So, looking for um, a motion to approve the consent calendar, sans five uh, B. So moved. I'll move the consent calendar, except for five B. Second. Motion Colbert. Second. Sackett. All those in favor. Aye. Aye. Unanimous. Now we're on to um, item six, benefits and challenges of free fares and costs of fare collection. And this has been a discussion item and a report that we was asked for several months ago and very glad to have it before us now. Yes. Kathleen Sullivan, our director of planning is gonna address this item. And it is something that you have discussed in the past briefly. And so today we'll get a chance to take a deeper dive on free fares and the costs of collection. So Kathleen. Great, can you hear me? Excellent. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna give an overview of fair collection, um, the, sort of the benefits and uh, challenges potentially with, with going completely fair free um, and talk about the costs of fair collection. 
eliminating fares is often has been considered by a lot of agencies, and it's often considered as a strategy to either improve equity by eliminating barriers to use the transit system or improve sustainability by increasing ridership. It is not often considered as a way to reduce costs um, because it does often notably increase costs. Um, so, and there's just a range of other impacts to be considered in addition to, I mean, to, to counterbalance some of those benefits that it can provide. Um, it is really important to be clear on the goals of, of, of pursuing free fares um, and compare that to other options that might be able to achieve those goals and to look at lessons learned from other agencies. There are examples of agencies that have tried this, um, some that have stuck with it, some that have not. We've attempted, attempted in this item, you can go to the next slide, to outline sort of the range of um, considerations, benefits, challenges, and I will conclude with the cost of fare collection. Um, there is a lot more information available in the board letter and attachments. I'm gonna cover sort of a summary level and highlight some of the most important issues for Marin Transit in my presentation today. Um, one first thing to note on background before I get into the slides is Marin Transit has not raised our fixed route fares in almost 20 years. Um, and in 2020, the board adopted a new fare structure, which actually provides more discounts to our frequent riders, um, it reduced the cost of our monthly pass, in cut it in half for both seniors and for um, just our, our standard adult riders. It's also important to note that Marin Transit does offer free fares for some populations today. Um, for example, low-income students, low-income seniors, homeward bound, just to give a few examples. And of course, many different populations have discounted access as we've covered in the past. Um, next slide. So we have done several board updates since the onset of the pandemic um, to consider lessons learned from other agency experiences in providing free fares, um, staff research, rider surveys, and the implementation and evaluation of some free fare pilots that we tested out. Um, we provided that evaluation report in January of this year. So just as some highlights of all those staff efforts over the course of several years. Um, <clears throat> first, we did look at peer agency fare-free programs here in the North Bay that were provided during COVID. Um, in the interviews we did, there was not a big impact on ridership from those. It was a little hard to discern because of the COVID impacts, but uh, there were some instances of degraded service quality and rider and operator experience. Um, they did receive some complaints from riders and uh, operators about some of the uh, passengers on the bus. Um, generally, both we interviewed both community-based organizations and riders, or surveyed riders, and Generally, both community organizations and riders prefer or emphasize the need to increase um, access and reduce financial barriers for certain populations, but did not say that or indicate that fares were a barrier for the general population for the majority of riders. Um, the work did reveal a need to increase awareness and education about our existing discounted fare programs. So we've continued to work on that and we're gonna do a big push with our fare study next year, a, a really big push on all of our fare products, potentially streamline them. Um, if you'll recall, we did three fee, free fare pilots um, for seniors, low-income adults, uh, parents of low-income youth and students or youth. Um, and those all had minimal impact on ridership. Um, they did provide some equity impact by leveling the playing field for those uh, vulnerable populations. And we're still actively exploring the best options for low-income adults specifically um, and how to make sure they do not have barriers to access the system. 
So overall, the takeaways from all of those efforts over the last several years since the onset of the pandemic are uh, we do need to increase education and awareness of our existing fare options. We need to continue to target discounts to those and potentially enhance discounts to those who need them most and partner with community organizations whenever possible to just expand the reach of who, you know, of those education and, um, yeah, those education and uh, advertisement efforts. Next slide. So we do understand why the issue keeps coming up. There's been a lot of uh, press coverage of this issue throughout the country. Um, and many act agencies are actively considering the topic. It's sort of a hot topic right now in the, in the transit press. Um, there are only a few, despite the sort of drumbeat of the news coverage, there are only a few that have actually opted to go fully fare-free. Um, for a few examples, Kansas City, Missouri, Richmond, Virginia, and Missoula, Montana. Other agencies have opted to go fare free for certain populations or certain routes or certain areas. Um, a, a lot of agencies who have studied the issue have doubled down on discounts or free access for, for those certain populations. For example, LA Metro did a really intensive consideration of this issue for about a year and has rolled out something called a, their LIFE program, Low Income Fare is Easy, catchy title. Um, <laughs> And it offers any qualifying LA County res residents free regional rides on Metro. Um, Seattle has offered programs such as no cost bus passes for public housing residents. So there's a lot more examples of pro programs like that at both large and small agencies across the country. Um, and this is mostly because there is more complexity to the issue than its initial appeal of let's just remove all the barriers and that'll, you know, that'll level the playing field. Next slide. So this, this kind of covers what those key considerations are. Again, there's more, um, a range of additional issues in your board letter. I've really tried to focus on the main ones, concerns for Marin Transit specifically. Um, the first is revenue. We do, we would need to backfill about two and a half million a year if we eliminated fares and that's just fixed route. So um, that's a, you know, it's not a huge percentage of our budget but it is a big number to backfill. Um, and a stable and long-term source would be really important. You know, we wouldn't want to have to be pursuing funding every year to fill that gap. Um, and it is a, currently it's a pretty challenging context to consider additional revenues, just given rising costs and limited potential for new revenue sources. And a lot of other agencies in the Bay Area that are in much worse, much more dire financial situation than we are. Um, one really critical finding of all the research is that service improvements are by far the most effective use of resources, even more than, than going fare-free, even for low-income customers. Basically, it levels the playing field and allows them to have access to a really high-quality transportation resource that sort of allows them the access and mobility that other populations have just by having the means to have that. So um, frequent reliable, high-quality service is the best thing we can do for low-income populations. Um, free fares can increase ridership, um, so that on the on its surface is would be great. Um, it's challenging when and where buses are already full, because then you have capacity issues and overcrowding. Um, in our case, the biggest concerns are our 600 series, our school routes, which are often at, at or over capacity today and some of our local and trunk routes that serve schools. We already do get complaints about those routes sometimes and their capacity issues. So in a in a condition where you would have even, a, even more demand for those routes, you'd have to either come up with even more money to provide more service, which again, we don't see an obvious source for, or um, 
redirect redirect buses from somewhere else, which could potentially negatively impact those riders. So it just puts us in sort of a challenging trade-offs position if there's additional demand on some of our highest capacity or highest uh, demand routes today. And then um, we do have concerns about non-destination riders, disruptive passengers. Um, there can be additional costs for security and cleaning. So in those instances where agencies have gone fare-free, they have often had, you know, they may eliminate some costs from fare collection, but they often have, that's counterbalanced by increased costs for security or cleaning. And given what an acute issue driver recruitment is for Marin Transit and many agencies right now, um, we're particularly concerned about whether it would have any impact on driver recruitment efforts, if there's any sort of uptick in disruptive passengers or the, just the difficulty of that job um, that could negatively impact our driver recruitment um, efforts, which would have a which would be quite an acute issue for us if that happened. Um, and then finally, the impacts to paratransit. If if Marin Transit were to go completely fare free, we are mandated to also offer free paratransit. And um, in cases where uh, agencies have gone fare free, they've seen like a 20 to 30% uptick in paratransit demand, which is understandable. Um, and uh, we are mandated to serve every paratransit trip, you know, every qualifying paratransit trip that comes in. So it actually can, sometimes it can increase the demand for paratransit more than fixed route. And uh, that 2.5 million I mentioned at the beginning does not actually include paratransit revenue. So that's another paratransit and some other revenue sources um, would bring it up probably above 3 million. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. Next slide. So just to summarize, um, there are some clear benefits to free fares. The, it does lower barriers to access the system. It can potentially increase ridership and you know the, the uh, uh, accompanying reductions in VMT and GHGs potentially. Um, we think those would be relatively modest in our case, but not, not zero. And um, the on the flip side, there are all the considerations I've just mentioned, revenue loss, potential for, potential for non-destination riders, increased costs for cleaning and security, and addition, additional service demands that could prompt overcrowding. So this is just a sort of a brief summary of the benefits on the one hand and the challenges on the other hand. Next slide. <clears throat> so getting into cost of fare collection, um, we did our best to estimate um, the costs that we spend. And what we came up with is about for every dollar of fare collected, we spend about 10 to 15% on um, the actual fare collection. We think this is very conservative, i.e. a pretty high estimate. Um, we, When we looked at all the actual hard costs, which are the easiest thing to calculate and actually quantify, we calculated seven cents, which is what you'll see in the chart. And then we basically just added a buffer. If there's things that we have you know, missed somehow, if you add a buffer to that and then consider soft costs as some share of fixed costs, we think 15% is a very high end estimate. Um, you know, if it's twice as high as what we were able to actually come up with calculating. Um, there are also some of these costs are sunk costs like Clipper. We've already put new Clipper readers on all of our buses. In some ways we're already bought into the Clipper system. And it's a questionable whether we'd be able to recoup or reduce any of the costs of the Clipper system. There's also some of the soft costs that are just built into our contractor contracts. And so, um, you know, it might free up some of their staff resources to do other things, but it's unlikely to actually reduce costs if we were to say you no longer have to be, you know, maintaining a Genfair fare box or something like that. So 
it's it's not like we could completely recoup the seven cents where we did do away with fair collection. Um, one other interesting thing I saw in the in the research was most agencies have maintained the option to continue to uh, revert to fair collection. So it would especially, you know, a lot of agencies kind of pilot the idea and you want to maintain an ability to change your fair policy in the future. So it's it's rare that someone just does away with all their fair equipment and says forever after we're going to never collect fares again. Usually it's a something they're testing and then they they want to reserve the potential to go back to fair collecting in the future. Um, next slide. So in summary, at this point, staff is not recommending pursuing free fares system-wide. Um, we are going to continue to work to increase fares, um, I'm sorry, awareness of existing free and discounted fares among riders, the public, social service agencies, and our community-based organizations. Um, again, we're going to make a big, a big marketing and education push next year after we've come up with recommendations for our fare study and in anticipation of Clipper 2 rolling out next summer or fall. And um, that fair study, which I introduced in September, will is going to continue additional free fair option, targeted free fair offerings for certain populations that are most in need. Um, and we're going to continue to provide updates to your board about that study, likely next month and in January. We hope to have recommendations to you by early 2024. So with that, I am done and happy to take any questions. Thank you, Kathleen. Great, great report. Well done. Questions? Yes, Mary Beth. My question. Oh, red is on. Aha. <laughs> Opposite of our. Um, thank you for the great report. Um, I want to dive a little bit deeper and uh, try to understand the paratransit consequences. Yeah. Um, because it seems counterintuitive to me. So. Yeah. Um, from as I'm reading your your the your, the written report, it, you explain that. It sounds like paratransit um, increases because what would have been a fixed route customer becomes a paratransit customer. Is that right? Not necessarily. Um, you know, the the currently you have to pay four dollars, right, to to ride our ADA service. That is a, I mean, that is a cost that people are incurring. And if you took that cost away, they would potentially want to ride more, make more trips. Um, and so just even if you took just the existing riders, they could potentially take more trips. All of them are not necessarily maxing out the number of trips that they could potentially take currently. So that that's the the simplest source of increased ridership. That, that sounds like to me then that the price of the ride is a financial barrier for these customers um, as opposed to the, the because the fixed route is a dollar, right? Two. Too. Yeah. Okay. So it's like I said, it, yeah, it does. I mean, the $2 um, and then the $4 ridership does often increase with free fares mm -hmm. there, you know, those people, it just, it removes any financial barrier. So you basically don't have to take, you know, people who are walking could potentially, I'm talking about fixed route, but people who are walking could potentially choose to not walk and just ride the bus because there's no financial barrier. Um, for paratransit, it is, you know, we have our low income program that can allow those riders to ride uh, for free and are not for free, but for discounted for the for the ADA piece. Um, so, yeah, it, it would it basically just eliminates the financial barrier. So people will opt to ride the service more. 
Right. I, I absolutely agree with your conclusion yeah. that um, free is not a, a good policy approach. Yeah. Um, but this little corner of the of the pricing world here on the paratransit, the, the for paratransit. And, yeah. Um, it, it sounds like there might be opportunities to um, increase the use of that service by adjusting the, the fee. Yeah. Um, or, or making more. How, how much do they pay with the um, the low income programs? I think it's half. Right, they get they can take a certain amount of rides free. That's what it is. Okay, and that's widely available. And so, so who's actually paying the four dollars? Um, all the folks who don't qualify for the Marin Access Fair Assistance Program. So the relatively well off. Yeah. Interesting. Thank yeah. You. Eric. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for the yeah. report. Um. I'm curious on the on the targeted approach. You know, certainly there's a a, a needs based uh, uh, target, yeah. uh, as well as maybe age based. So students, uh, older adults. I'm curious. Are you aware of other transit agencies that are doing just free fares for uh, youth or older adults? And and any findings from that? There definitely are agencies that have done both, mm -hmm. and um, I think the biggest concern with uh, I, I don't have any specific findings from a senior example. We could definitely look into it. I know I came across some of those in the research. For youth, uh, overcrowding was the biggest concern that comes up. So if you feel like you can provide the service that would be demanded, I think the other, um, the other key takeaway for youth is often kids are biking or walking who just hop on the bus because the bus is driving by. And so that's one of those, it's not bad necessarily. It's still, you know, all within more sustainable modes, but it's taking up a seat that they were walking before, you know, before that we offered the free fares. Gotcha. And, and operationally, you know, if you look at free fares, I know when we've done free fares for youth, um, are we, are we checking student IDs? Is it more of just an honor system? What, what's, what's kind of an operational best practice with these targeted, maybe age-based uh, options? Yeah. So all um, we've done stickers, I think, for most of our youth programs. So I think we would just go to, let's say there was free youth for all, we would just go to more of a universal. If you have a student ID, you would be able to get on or something like that. That's usually how it works. Okay. Um, is just to use the student ID as the vehicle since they theoretically all have that already. Essentially, yeah. the student ID becomes a flash pass. Yeah. Gotcha. And what about maybe for for older adults? Do you know what how how agencies are verifying that, or do they just? I mean, I, it, it could be, take a lot of time for everybody to show an ID, check that all that, or are they just using? I mean, Clipper system? is our best is our is a really nice way. Someone has to have a Clipper card, so you have to have done the outreach. But then it's a you know, once you have an a, a senior Clipper card or an older adult Clipper card, then it's good forever. Like you don't have to renew it because they know once you're over 65, you're over 65 henceforth, <laughs> despite all of our hopes to the contrary. Um, and so that's a great tool if for agencies that have high clipper adoption. So that's one option. I'm not sure for Mafa, what do they put the actual sticker on? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I know. Yeah. The flash pass? The whole flash pass? Yeah. 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 Mail so even these, but they don't necessarily remove the barrier of having to go out and get a clipper card or get some sort of. You still have to I, mail them a card. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, I'm, there probably are instances where they can show an ID, but the process of the driver having to actually look at the age would probably be more of a barrier to, to the boarding speed than it would be worth. Yeah. 
that's kind of more what I'm thinking about. If, if, if we do more of these targeted or, or windows, you know, how do we ensure that the barrier, we're removing the barriers so we get a real idea of how many people would ride the service if, yeah. if that wasn't there. Yeah. It's a challenge. I, yeah. I do think youth programs, they get really embedded at the schools and they do a huge amount of advertising and press coverage, like thinking of free muni for youth like everyone knew or anyone who's paying any attention knew that Muni went free youth um, because they did a huge amount of press coverage of it. I think that was for low income youth specifically, but you can utilize school channels yeah. for youth specifically. Right. Thank you. Mm. Stephanie. Thank you. Um, great report. I want to get a little sense of kind of the current status if you if you have it so is slide seven where you've got your different passes uh and your hard cost analysis is that our inventory of the current discount pass programs that we have or is there a, a longer list of discounts? there's definitely a longer list okay. um it we could definitely get it to you it's been in past board items uh the list of yes. discounts yes okay so so that's a tee up to my second question of what would you estimate is the uh, current ridership population, a percentage that's already receiving a discount of some sort. I, any estimate just off the top of your head? We could definitely get that number pretty yeah. easily. I don't have it off the top of my head. So that, so I'm hoping when you come back to us with your full study, and, and I know you will, to help set the context of who's on the buses already and yep. what the demographics are. And then of the yep. people that are on the buses, how many already are benefiting and then where are the gaps? Yeah, because this is all great info, and it just I can't quite figure out who's who's not getting a benefit that could, or is everybody yeah. getting a benefit? Mm -hmm. I do think the biggest gap is low income adults, um, okay. because we do we do a lot of promotion. You know, anyone who knows about our Marin Access programs, they're going to know about the full suite of programs, including the low income options. Um, I think we have pretty good coverage of our youth programs, and we offer completely free access for low income youth. I think low income adults is the toughest, is the hardest nut to crack. And one in the one we're specifically focusing on in looking at fair policy changes under this fair study. And if I can just add in, you may remember that one of the things that we piloted was providing passes to families, not just to the students uh, who qualified for low income uh, student passes. We offered that as one of our free fair pilots. And you know, we didn't see as much uh, of an uptake as we thought we might, because we, we thought that that would have a low income adult in the family that might want to use it. And, and we didn't see quite as much of a, uh, again, uptake of that. And we were, we've looked into that a bit and we've got some results from that as well. So helping us in, inform how we might tackle that, that population, low income adults. Yeah. Yeah. No, interesting. Great. Thank yeah. you very much. All right. Uh, Dennis. Yeah. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you for the report and the update. Um, I kind of feel like a lot of the consequences we're worried about aren't really related to Marin Transit. That's just my my feel. And so I'm wondering, for example, when we did the free fare at the, the weekend of the fair, did we experience any of those negative things that we thought we would experience mm -hmm. uh, by having free fare? And then we've done pilots that hopefully would have some information related to those. Because I'm kind of worried that we're kind of saying no to this potential program because we're worried about a, a lot of things that have happened maybe in other systems and other mm -hmm. places. And I don't think that's a good way to make a choice for us because we're in transit system is a very different system and we have 
uh, different riders in many cases than other other regions. So I, I'd love to have more information about our programs if mm -hmm. we could get that. Um, you know, I, I also can't help but thinking we're happy at 90% ridership. We really don't want to increase that. And I don't think that's that's the case. That's our goal. But if we went to 125 or 135 or 150, is that okay? Is that I'm kind of hearing it isn't if we went, if we got it and it was done by a free program. So so those are kind of the questions that, that, that I'm throwing out. And maybe I'm making more comments. I'm not giving you a chance to to comment. But if, if we have negative experience that we've experienced in our pilots or our, our free programs, that would be great to yeah. know. Okay. So thank you. And you may not know today, but I think it's an important part. Yeah. I don't necessarily know. I mean, uh, off the top of my head, but we can definitely look into it. Um, I think the, the balance between having enough money to run the services that demand, you know, if, if you could run five minute service throughout the county all the time, you'd probably have more ridership. We are always in a balancing act of trying to maximize putting our resources. Well, we, we have a dual mission of coverage and putting resources on the highest ridership routes, you know, because we do have a coverage uh, purpose also. Those people who don't have really great access, it might not be our highest ridership routes, but it's providing a really important lifeline for those populations. So the service develop, you know, I think if Robert were here, he would say service development is this constant balancing act of trying to maximize within a limited budget where to put those resources to maximize ridership while also providing to those passengers. You know, we often get complaints of why don't you run a bus to my to my specific place. And if we don't think, if we think that's gonna be the only rider, it's tough to justify the, you know, the reallocation of resources, but it's all within a fixed pie, unfortunately. I think that's really the limitation. Um, if we had unlimited resources, we would love to run five minute free service everywhere, I think. No, I get the budgetary constraints. Yeah. All the anecdotal stuff, I'm not sure about. Yeah. Good reason. And if, if I can just add in, I think on those pilots, particularly the student pilots and the and the county fair pilot, the county fair weekend, as you know, it, holiday weekend, typically, and we know, mm -hmm. you know, historically, you don't have a lot of writers on those, you know, a huge number of writers, so we don't have overcrowding issues typically. And same thing kind of in the summer with our, we did the summer free student, uh, every all students were free during the summer. And, and again, we didn't see a big ridership increase there. Um, probably a good thing to do anyway, but we have capacity then that's right. Yeah. So that's where we don't see any of the overcrowding. So um, our targeted pilots were kind of targeting things that we already knew probably weren't going to be a problem in some ways, because we knew we had that capacity, certainly on the student side. And then on the, on the senior side, it, um, you're right though, that the senior side, we did not see any any overcrowding. In fact, we reported to you that there were seniors who continued to pay the fare, even though they knew it was free. So because they wanted to, to contribute. Um, but but yeah, we have not done anything that is system wide. Obviously, we haven't done a pilot like that. Yeah, there have been cases where places have passed measures to with this as specific mission. So it's like we're going to allocate this funding to provide this free benefit. Um, but it always again, it's like it has to come with the the backfilling of the that funding so that you actually can continue to provide the really high quality service because that's a worst case scenario is the you know, you reduce service and then you're providing a worse product for lower cost isn't really the goal. Thank you so much for this presentation. I really appreciate the research from other jurisdictions and kind of looking at 
at the issue top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think it's a best practice um, across the board. Um, my concern on this issue was really when we had talked maybe last meeting about the fare boxes and how much they cost and how much we were, you know, trying to weigh like when you're looking at a dollar. So I appreciate that even at a 15% that there's a recovery there and that to me helps make the case to mm -hmm. collect money. I always think if it costs more to collect it, why are we doing this exercise? Um, it, to Supervisor Rodoni's point, I also think like overcrowding is a good problem. And if that is our issue, then, you know, would like to think about that sort of separately in a different and school, but school routes, I think fall into somewhat a different category, but if we, you know, are so successful that we have overcrowding, I think that's something our board would love to have as an issue that we had to solve for. Um, and just this notion. So to me, that should be separated out to some extent in this analysis, that it is a different set of factors. For example, you know, if kids are getting on the bus rather than walking, but once they get on the bus, then are they potentially going to take the bus for other places, right? And and I think adults too. So I to me, that separates out to some extent. This boils down to clipper penetration. And I don't think we are even close to people understanding what clipper is, that it's a benefit, that they have a clipper card. I just feel like the word on the street is people don't know what it is. And even... I will speak for myself, trying to figure out where to get it in an easy, convenient fashion when, you know, I'm trying to put my kid on a bus. It's, it's just not easy even mm -hmm. for those people in the know. So I hopefully, you know, through MTC and other efforts over the next year, that will change. Um, I think it's fine to rely on that as the flash pass or, you know, the youth or the senior discount, but we're just so far from that right now, I think. And then finally on the, um, my recollection going back to the Spanish speaking parents that we were trying to address, my recollection is some of those passes were mailed out. At least San Rafael City Schools has this DLAC group that meets quarterly, which is um, a Spanish speaking parent place. I mean, I wonder if we could just go there and give the pass. Mm -hmm. you know, rather than trying to send things in the mail that may be time limited. Um, and I'm happy to kind of connect those dots a little bit further. But I think when we're talking about how to penetrate low income adults, it's being in places where they are and handing it to them or having the, you know, iPad there to, to sign them up. Mm -hmm. But you, the more links you put in and the more steps, I think that we lose people. But overall, I really appreciate this. I think you're that I would agree with the recommendation to not take away fares at this point um, and really appreciate the comprehensive report. Brian. Yeah, thanks for the report. Just um, I'm I'm. I'm focusing on the, you know, what what people want to use is the the frequent, reliable, high quality service. Right. And that and I've said this before, I think so many people are sort of confused by Marin Transit. Like they just don't kind of understand it. Um, that is to say that they know they don't know where they can get to. Um, and it's certainly not for a lack of, of trying. 
on the on a part of Marin Transit. So um, I'd be curious when you come back to us, not only sort of how to reach low income adults, but where are they going? Right. Like because everything's always sort of an alternative. Right. Well, in spite of all this, we give all this like it, the system just doesn't work for them. And to your point earlier, it, it just may not work for them, right? Like the, the there may not be sort of a sustainable service to X various points that may happen. Uh, you know, Stephen, you asked an interesting question before, you know, and it's it's one of those things that on a certain level may be unknowable to how do you, how hard you work. Like in terms of who could we possibly be reaching to use whatever the service is, uh, you know, free fare, full fare, discounted fares, you know, what, what is that gap? Like the cost to, to close that gap again, made the ROI may just be incredibly difficult to, to capture what that is. And then the, the last piece, uh, and, and, you know, Dennis, you asked a really interesting question, right? And, and, and I think we've been sort of struggling this for a, a, a while, which is Marin Transit offers an incredibly high quality ridership experience and how can we measure to what extent the degradation of that experience? But I, I forget what the phrase you use, but it's like riders to nowhere. Non-destination riders. Yeah, non this like me in high school in New York City. Oh, just jump on the subway and ride yeah. all over the place, right? But but to what extent does that degradation of service affect uh, people who, who are looking for a, a particularly high quality and safe experience? I, again, that might be incredibly hard to quantify, but I, I do think it's something we should really try and delve into those populations because once they become uncomfortable riding or in transit, right, how do we get back to that comfort level um, so we don't lose ridership and encourage other people to ride? Yep. Yeah, safety is a major, I mean, you hear that in the news, head, local news headlines too. Once I think safety issues specifically get uh, way more, get blown up way more than the actual grounding and reality. So like one or two incidents can cause everyone to think that it's just an unsafe thing to do. So it's a particularly tough topic to, uh, to quantify and look at like, you know, data versus perception. But it's a really, I mean, it's a very good point, point taken. Uh-oh. No, I, I get it. And like I said, the, the perception right now, as far as I can tell, Marin Transit is incredibly safe. Yeah. And so we we, we would not want to lose that reputation. Yeah. Thanks again for the report. A um, couple of follow-up questions, Kathleen. Mm-hmm. Um, so the issue of overcrowding has come up and now safety. And I wonder if you could comment on those. What what are the impacts to the agency of overcrowding? It isn't just people all jammed in a bus. Like what else is it safety? And then the separate the safety question. Um, and I and I'm thinking of the larger discussion of transit that's very up in the Bay Area. If you're paying attention to this and safety on BART from people riding to the airport and back just to be on BART because they don't have a place to live is real. I don't think that's an issue for Marin Transit, and I think it's it's helpful to get some context about where are these issues presenting themselves, mm-hmm. and are they relevant to Marin Transit in particular? Because I do think we have a, a distinct service we run. You, it's very nuanced, uh, thanks to the work you all do. So how how real are these uh, these challenges and disadvantages for Marin Transit specifically is my mm-hmm. second question. 
on overcrowding. Yeah, I would just say complaints <laughs> isn't yeah. the primary thing that comes to mind, but yeah, yeah. On, on overcrowding, I think we know from experience that it is, it's the quality of service then, right? People who are crowding into a bus who you know, don't don't want to take the service anymore because it is so overcrowded, or they don't want to put their child on or can't get on. <laughs> they just literally can't get into the bus. So, so that's, and it is based on complaints. And so then the way we try to address that is, can we put more service out there? Um, and as Kathleen explained, of course, that's more more money or taking service from another place. So, so I think I think that is real for the peaks that that we're talking about, and for particular routes where we already know it's full. And you know, we we get comments about how running empty buses, but when you think about it, where and when are those empty? You know, it it, it is. Yeah, we do have capacity. Um, in the middle of the day, we typically have a lot of capacity, but that's that's because people are not, you know, that's not when they want to travel. So um, even providing free transit may not fill the buses up then. So I think, yeah, overcrowding is definitely something that we we could probably pinpoint where, where it would happen um, if we were to do a prediction today. Not, not pinpoint it, but we can give some ideas. Um, on the on the safety issue, I, I think you're right. There is, we don't experience the same thing, certainly that, that BART or some of the more urban core experience in safety issues, but perception is everything. And, and people do expect a very, very safe system. And I think that the, um, yeah, the, the tolerance, if you will, for, for behavior that they find unacceptable may you know, drive people off the system. Um, particularly when we have a lot of young people riding, I think is is part of the issue here. So I I can't you know that one can't predict, but I would agree that it isn't a problem today, um, and we don't we don't you know we don't foresee it being a huge problem, but it is something that others even in in the suburban areas have experienced. So going back to the point that it's not just a BART problem. I mean, we saw from the interviews with when they did do free fares, there were there were problems in our suburban areas in Sonoma, for example. Mm -hmm. So yeah, okay. but but. High impact, but low low frequency. Yeah, right? definitely. Okay. okay, that's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, um, so Kathleen. So I'm going to throw in my comments, questions, and then we'll go to the public. Um, so what jumped out to me most in your report, um, and and I think Brian hit on this, is that when and this is this is specifically to the comments you made regarding feedback you got from. Uh, your rider surveys and uh, reaching out to some of our um, uh, the CBOs out there that fares uh, aren't a barrier and that riders aren't aware of the discounted fares. Um, and then three, that what matters most, especially to those I think that are transit dependent, but probably to those choice riders as well, is frequency and reliability mm -hmm. of the system. So I, um, if you can't, if you can't answer this now, maybe bring back how much service does 2.5 million, how much more service does 2.5 million buy? Um, because my, if our objectives are around one, um, uh, addressing equity uh, for those who are transit dependent, low income transit dependent, and then also increasing ridership. And, and, and I think of increasing ridership mostly with a target on those who are not as transit dependent, more choice riders, um, then it makes sense to understand uh, what exactly that loss of service potentially is if, if 2.5 million, 2 million is cost. Because I'm thinking that most folks who are either transit dependent, dependent or potential choice riders we're going to meet those objectives with improved increased frequency 
on the on routes. Mm-hmm. And I but maybe two point five million doesn't do that much. Um, and then and then thirdly, obviously, and you've said it a few times, we've got a we do need to um, really make sure those who are eligible for our discounted fares are able to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. That low income adult population, but how what what does two point five million represent off the top of your head? Yeah, Lauren, <laughs> hi, Lauren Grady, director of finance. Um, I uh, the easiest example I think is that that's more than our rural program, so that's two routes serving West Marin. Right. So, which doesn't? I'm thinking. I'm thinking about sort of more high population routes. How how, how much would it? Is it significant? Is two point? Mm, yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like two routes in the urban or in the rural. So it's the same hourly rate, whether it's rural or urban. Two but routes running at 15 at a certain frequency. Hourly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that doesn't help me too that much. That doesn't help. <laughs> you, you probably want to know what it would look like we shaved off the frequency on a bunch of routes, right? If we had so to shave 2.5 well, million more. 2 million and divide it by $160 an hour. And that would give you the hours. And I think- what percent for Yeah, but that doesn't. I think you'll also get more from Osher's presentation and the performance report. You can look at okay. by route how much it costs. I think so. I I think I confused my confused my point, which is I would say I I would rather I would rather say see us find a way to invest in increasing frequency and um, routes. And I think that would do as much to addressing increase it, trying to increase our ridership and also potentially um, improve on equity because we're frankly serving a pot. If we're for those who are transit dependent, if it, we give them more options, that's helpful as well. Mm-hmm. So with that, I'll go to um, anyone from the public like to speak on this. I see no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Okay. Oh, wait, actually, sorry. Oh. The hand is up. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. I see one raised hand. Urban Carmel, please unmute. Oh, Hi, everybody. Um, so thanks so much for bringing up this topic. This is a topical topic. So I'm just curious, and I think I already got the answer, but it sounds like the number of students that are riding the bus during the summer when you've got free fares is not causing any degradation of the service level, but you might just confirm that. And if that's in fact the case, I'm just curious whether you would consider doing a limited pilot uh, for a year, for example, for all students under the age of, I guess, 19 or every, everybody who's in the, the school system um, to see whether you can get a significant uptake in ridership and a reduction in car trips. Um, a majority of this group that's in this board meeting tonight or today was also in a transportation planning meeting two weeks ago where one of the top two options discussed for planning over the next 30 years was reducing car trips to school. And this seems like a particularly good way to do it with with infrastructure that we already have. So appreciate getting a response on that. Thanks very much. There are no additional raised hands. Thank you. All right. So bring it back, Nancy, Kathleen, anything, anything to add to that last comment? I'm remembering, I'm remembering really overcrowded uh, route serving 
our schools and having to add service, a lot of service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And that's why we've offered free youth during the summer when there isn't the school demand. So we do have capacity on those, you know, we just do have a lot more capacity on the system because the youth ridership to and from school is not there. So that's why we've offered, that's why we've been willing to offer youth free youth during the summer on specifically to the commenter's point. Yes. And and we experienced some overcrowding today, by the way, on some of our school routes or routes that our public transit routes that serve schools. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So I I just want to say it it is the case. We know that 25% of commute traffic in the morning is school related. And, and uh, you all know that too, but I think if there was an area to look more deeply at, it would be school service and whether uh, we need to go after TAM for more of the TAM funding for this. But I mean, it it really is a thing that can move the needle. So I think it is worth looking at uh, what, if anything, can we do to add Mm -hmm. to school service? Maybe at the expense of other service we run. I don't know, but I just want to put a pin in that. If I may, I just would add, I really like the idea of a pilot to test some of the uh, theories that we have. And that might be a good test because you know the ridership in summers would, how much increase would we see by free? You'd be able to test that a little bit because you already have overcrowding during the school year. So you that's not a free, free uh, ridership mm-hmm. problem. That's something else. But if you do it during the summer, you can test that theory. Are, are we really going to get the overcrowding because we're giving a free, free, uh, um, option. So those kind of pilots might be useful to get real data from the REN with, with the impact of doing something like this. And I, I would suggest there are other programs that maybe we could target that same approach to mm-hmm. to test what are the consequences of free to the system. Mm-hmm. You know, pick a particular portion. The rural route would be a perfect example. What if you went free there? I know, it, I know there's a cost to it, but what we could test what we think would happen uh, with free fares, if we suddenly have overcrowding there, that would be a pretty, pretty big indicator that that's what we're going to face if we went to free fare because of the, of the system right now. But so there may be options with other pilots, is what I'm saying. And I'll just add on the school piece: we have to separate elementary schools from because the elementary kids are not going to be getting on Marin Transit by themselves, and and. My impression is that is the big chunk of the school congestion. Um, not that high schools don't also create congestion, but it's definitely two separate demographics. And then middle school, I think, is a little bit different depending on the geography. Novato, I think it serves more middle school than elsewhere. But I don't think we're going to solve elementary school congestion with Marin Transit. But I, I can tell you, Mary, that at least for Redwood High School, coming from Corte Madera and Tiburon, the, the buses are always full, and that makes a huge difference on Corte Madera Street. So um, there's, it's high impact there, not yellow school bus, but really high impact. And so that speaks to it may be a more nuanced response. You know, wh- where is the demand that's creating the overcrowding and or potential folks ready to get on the street. But anyway, you have lots of feedback and input. Um, not a simple question, a uh, question or equation and that balancing act is is so real. But um, yeah, I'd like to see more dollars wherever there's demand, more dollars 
Just more dollars. More dollars, period. Not, not coming from, from our riders as much as just to, to be able to pump into the system. Okay, so with that, uh, thank you, Kathleen, very much. And now we're going to move on to the uh, item seven, which is our year-end financial report. Yes, and Lauren Gray is back here <laughs> to present uh, the FY22-23 fiscal report and financial report. So good morning, Board of Directors, Lauren Gradia, Director of Finance and Capital Programs. And I am going to present the year-end financial report for fiscal year 2022-23. <laughs> and before I get started, I do want to just um, thank our financial team, which is Karina Sawin, Ceci <laughs> Morales, and Grizel Martinez. And really the financial, the foundation of this report is the recording of our invoices and our payments. And all of those things get recorded to about six different areas, including our general ledger, our programs, our projects, and our measure A category. And the accuracy of that coding um, really determines the accuracy of our reporting. And I would say this year we had about, we had the least number of like adjusting entries and it was, it really makes a difference in terms of how quickly we can put these reports together. So with, so thank you to them. And with that, I'll get started. So first slide, please. <clears throat> So next month, we will present our financial audit to you, but um, this month, uh, we're presenting the financial report in terms of the uh, budget, and this is the budget summary table, and it's an overview of our financial revenues and expenditures for the year for both operations and capital, and we collected about 85% of the budgeted revenue and expended about 80% of the budgeted expenditures. <clears throat> we tracked much more closely in the operations budget than in the capital budget, and that's due to the timing of the larger capital projects. We ended the fiscal year with a fully funded operations reserve, which is equivalent to six months um, operating revenues and $16 million in our capital reserve. Next slide. So looking at our total expenditures, this is a graph of our expenditures by type over the last five years. And you can see the variation in the capital expenditures and like the, it kind of looks black in the dark black bar. And that's due to the timing of vehicle replacements and then more recently some of the facility projects. Overall operations expenses increased 12% and the majority of the expenses were for providing uh, local fixed route service. And that's shown in the dark green at the bottom of the bars. Next slide. So this uh, chart helps you evaluate the district's operations expenses in relation to our budget based on how much of the budgeted service we actually delivered. And this table shows the percent of budgeted revenue hours by program that were operated in the year. And at a high level, we delivered 99% of the budgeted fixed route hours, although some of the hours moved between programs. And for demand re response, we operated only 41% of the budgeted demand response service, reflecting a lower demand for paratransit. And this also translated to a cost savings in the Marin access budget. Next slide. So looking at the operations revenues um, in more detail, this graph also shows the district's operations revenue by type over the past four years. And um, we, ex in this fiscal year, we uh, expended the last of the allocated federal relief funds, which are sh shown, in, shown in more detail on the left table. And then also in, um, I guess, black at the top of the bars. We shifted back to a reliance on our local sales tax measure or measure AA. And then we also had an increase in the state funding from the Transportation Development Act, which was both a um, 
increase in availability of that funding source, and then also an increased percentage of the county allocation based on our ridership and service operated. Next slide. <clears throat> so this uh, donut shows our um, operating expenses by type. And um, together, our fixed route operations, which are shown in the dark green, and then the um, contract operations for paratransit, they make up 79% of our district operating expenses. Uh, which makes sense as a contract operator. And illustrating that the district employs about 240 people through our con contracts compared to with our 17 direct employees last year. On the right, there's a breakdown of our budget areas. And um, this helps segregate the budgets by funding sources and programs. And there's a table in the budget report by each of these areas. Next slide. <clears throat> There were significant changes in our purchase transportation contracts last year, and this summarizes some of those changes. Um, they were all brought to your board um, and discussed, and there were, while there were associated cost increases, they also corresponded with adding additional staff or improving service reliability. <clears throat> Next slide. So looking at the capital expenditures, um, facility projects really um, made up the majority of our capital expenditures last year. These, the, those projects included the purchase of the 3010-3020 revenue, uh, sorry, <laughs> um, right-of-way, which is shown in the picture on the right, and that is adjacent to our current paratransit maintenance facility. And then we also completed um, some electrification at, at our Rush Landing parking facility up in Novato. We did not have any major vehicle replacement purchases, um, but we did complete a uh, mid-life battery replacement on some of our hybrid hybrid vehicles. Next slide. So finally, um, ending with some financial projections. Um, recently, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, or MTC, led an effort to collect financial projections from all operators and understand um, the magnitude of the fiscal, fiscal, fiscal cliff some um, operators are facing. So this included standardizing assumptions across operators, which um, when we uh, made these revisions did result in lower revenue projections than we currently had in our 10-year model. These are shown on the right. And so that did result in uh, a small deficit starting in fiscal year 26 in that projection. But that deficit is small. It's about $3 million per year. And it's uh, definitely within the reserve level, which is shown in the yellow bar, and pretty much within a margin of error in terms of those projections. We will be completing an update to our short range transit plan, which includes looking at our service levels and then also looking at our 10 year financial projections in 2024. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. All right, Lauren, thank you, Lauren. Questions, Mary. On slide five, it looks as though the property tax portion of the operation revenues is significantly less than in prior years. Can you speak to that and why? Yeah, it's just. I'm not in color. <laughs> you know, that's, that's interesting. I wouldn't actually, I don't know why, why that would look that way. So we'll check on that bar. <laughs> It should be consistent. 
Other questions? Yes, Fred. Yeah, same slide on uh, number five. It looks like advertising other revenue really shot up in 23. Just looking at the bar part of it. Yeah, I have a feeling that something is going wrong in that graph. So let me um, see if I can figure that out. Um, advertising revenue should have gone down. Um, with the new Golden Gate contract, we don't receive that directly, so it should be represented as low. So I apologize for that. Okay, no problem. And then on financial projection, it looks like in uh, 24, 25, revenue really exceeds expenses. Any reason behind that or do you know? I mean, currently our revenue is, is exceeding expenses. Some of it is how we're expending uh, reserves not held by the district. So right now we have some measure A, for example, that's held by TAM. So we we draw that down on a reimbursement basis. And so in, it's a matter of how, like, do we project that we're going to draw that down evenly over five years or um, a larger amount in a specific year? Okay. And I think you mentioned for... Um... The year after that, there's going to be a deficit, but the reserves cover that deficit. What about, but it looks like for the following three years, there's a deficit. Yeah. And so that deficit is reflected in that yellow line, which shows the reserves. So we're basically taking the deficit out of the reserve level. So it's about $3 million a year that we would be spending down of the reserves. Okay. Each year for three years? Correct. So it's like $9 million total? Okay. Correct. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Mary Beth. So following up on that, uh, for your projections going up, what escalation factor did you use for contract operations? We use the escalation that's in the current contracts. And then usually typically at a rebid, we increase that. Um, right now, the escalation, I believe, in the Golden Gate contract is about 3.6%. 3, 3 um, and then the airporter contract is a little bit less. It used to be 2.7%. I think it might still be that. Um, and are those contractually locked in for the entire year of the, all the years of the projection? They are. So then at the rebid, typically we um, project somewhere between five to 10%. Great. Thank you. Any other questions? Okay. And um, so Kate, can we go to members of the public? Are there any questions or comments? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hands on Zoom. There's no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. All right, Lauren, um, one question from me. Can you remind me, what is our reserve policy? It is to maintain a reserve uh, three months of the operating revenues for the um, operations reserve and then two months of the operating expenses for our emergency reserve. And then above that, we um, designate what to do with the remainder, and we have designated in the recent history to put that to the capital reserve. So at going out beyond uh, 27, 28, does, uh, as if all things holding true as they are now, um, that line, I'm assuming, continues to go down, that operating operations reserve goes down by $3 million in today's dollars, roughly? Yeah, and so our policy is to to um, not dip into the emergency reserve, but the contingency reserve would be available for, which is about the contingency reserve is three point four five million, and so you would be drawing down three million from that every year. Okay, all right, and then our short range transit plan, we're going to be working on that next year. Correct. 
And then how I can't remember what's the what's the uh, time frame for the short range transit plan in terms of is it a, is it two year five year what is it? Ten it's year. a ten year financial outlook. So we'll really be um, picking up on this. And if I could just end, Laura, I wanted you to confirm that just in terms of the financial projections that are here, again, this was based on some of the assumptions that MTC provided for revenues in particular that are different than what we have been experiencing and what we're seeing. And so they are lower than what we, we would normally project. And we've usually been even, I mean, our revenues have typically hit on or been more than. So I think that their projections are lower than we would normally do. I just want to call that out as a, a different assumption that we typically use. Is that right? That is correct. I mean, but the trend of having our expenses exceed our revenues is consistent over time. But I I do think there's certainly if we start to see this, there's plenty of time. There, our reserve gives us the time to do course corrections. Okay. All right. Um, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Do one more question? Sure. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to go back into the discussion we were having before about um, free fares. And is, so your slide number seven, which talks about expenses by program area. Um, so just looking at the, the at the graph here, is it is it fair to say, looking at the service we provide, Marin Access, rural and local, that um, if we wanted to go fair, fair free, then the 2.5 million would come out of one of those some of those services if we if we did not charge yeah yeah so i just think yeah. it's important to it, this seems to be a, a good illustration maybe nancy you have some thoughts yeah no but you're absolutely right i mean if we were to again going fair free system-wide two and a half million dollar um expense or you know lack of revenue then we would have to take it out of one of these expense categories so yes absolutely it come from one of one of these programs um yeah. Do you want to be more specific about that? No. no. Just, yeah. Well, and I guess the point is, my impression is these programs are fully survived. I mean, we're we're trying to provide as much service as we can with the dollars we have. So if we, if we just need to be conscious of that while we look at a fair, fair free. Yes. Component. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So if there are no other questions or comments. Um, you need an action here, so you need us to accept your finance this uh, financial report. Yes. yes. Okay, so I'd be looking for a motion. Second. Motion Moulton Peters. Second Lucan. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? See none. That's unanimous. Lauren, thank you. Thank so you. now we're on to the system performance report. This is item number eight. <laughs> All right, and sorry, we have Ashurbatnik, who is our senior planner, who will uh, go through the fiscal year 22-23 system performance report. All right, good morning, President Rice and members of the board. My name is Ashurbatnik, senior transit planner, and item number eight in your packet this morning is the system performance report for fiscal year 2022-2023. I'm going to start by going over the ways in which service was different in FY23 compared to the prior fiscal year. For the most part, service was the same. We offered roughly the same number of revenue hours. School service ran for the entire year. Your woods ran for the entire year. You throw free for both summers. Um, and again, total fixed revenue hours were about the same. There were a couple of minor differences. Some, there was some consolidation on the supplemental school routes. Uh, former partnership route 622 was rolled into local basic route 22. And there was reduced service offering on the rural routes, about 20% in revenue hours. 
There was also a major service change that took effect mid-June of this fiscal year. Um, because that accounts for such a small portion of the fiscal year, we don't really expect to see any effects from that in the statistics that we're presenting to you today, but we are keeping an eye on that as we move into FY24. Uh, next slide. So this chart shows total ridership system-wide for the past five years. Uh, total ridership in FY23 was 17% higher than the prior year, which is about 13% lower than pre-COVID, which you can see on the FY2019 bar on the graph there. Uh, fixed route accounted for the majority of ridership, about 94%, which is consistent with prior years. And Marin Access did experience a small decrease in ridership from the prior year, about 7%. And Marin Access in FY23 was about 52% lower than pre-COVID. Next slide. So this chart shows monthly ridership. The dark green bars represent FY23. As you can see, each month saw year-over-year -year ridership increases, but the increases get smaller as we as the year went on, which you can see from the bars getting closer on the right-hand side of the graph from the left. The black line on top represents pre-COVID ridership and total ridership hovered around 85 to 90% of pre-COVID levels throughout the year, but especially in the second half of the year. So now I'm gonna move on to our two key performance indicators and those are productivity and cost effectiveness. So this chart shows productivity, which is measure, measured in passengers per revenue hour. The supplemental routes so show passengers per trip. The goal here is to be above the red line. More passengers per revenue hour means more productive service. Several individual routes met their productivity targets and the local trunk line typology as a whole met its productivity target as well. The 35 had the highest ridership across the system. It carried over 600,000 passengers over the course of the year at an average productivity of 25.9 passengers per revenue hour. This chart shows cost effectiveness, which is measured in subsidy per passenger. Note that the demand response services on the right-hand side of the graph use a different scale for the y-axis. The goal here is to be below the red line. A lower subsidy per passenger means greater cost effectiveness. Only one route, the 23X, met its subsidy target this year with an average subsidy of 721 per passenger and a 725 subsidy target. However, Route 35 had the lowest subsidy per passenger across the system at an average of $6.08 per passenger. Next slide. So this chart shows the percent of pre-COVID ridership that Marin Transit and our peer agencies achieved in FY23 for our fixed route service. As you can see, Marin Transit has recovered more of our pre-COVID ridership than any of our peer agencies in the Bay Area. This was also true last year. Marin Transit's COVID recovery has been more swift than most other transit agencies. Next slide. Due to that swift COVID recovery, Marin Transit's year-over-year -year ridership increase was less than our Bay Area peer agencies. This graph speaks more to strong ridership growth in FY22 than it does to underperforming ridership growth in FY23. And also on a national scale, Marin Transit's ridership growth was comparable to the national average of 16%. So to finish up the presentation, I want to give a brief overview of what we're looking at for FY24 and beyond. Uh, as you know, fixed route services underwent a major service change in June. Um, so far in July and August, we're seeing ridership holding pretty steady, which is a good sign. Uh, Marine access programs went uh, underwent a major change as well that went into effect on July 1st. Um, we are monitoring that closely, but it's still too early to really draw any conclusions from the ridership patterns there. 
Um, staff are also evaluating the future of the Nearwood Shuttle. We're talking with Bowers and we're also talking with National Park Service and we will be coming back to your board soon with more information about that. Staff also plan to reevaluate the service typologies and performance metrics as part of the upcoming short range transit plan process in 2024. And then as always, staff are continually assessing all programs and working to coordinate services with Golden Gate Transit and SMART. So I'm happy to take any questions you have. Asher, thank you so much. You consolidated a lot. <laughs> yes, Mary Beth. I want to start at the end. Um, okay. You said that you um, are looking forward to reevaluating service typologies and performance metrics. Mm -hmm. um, seeing as most of the services are not meeting one of the performance metrics, um, is that where you're going to start? And if it is, um, how are you going to address um, any questions about because we can't meet the line, we're going to move the line? So yeah, that, that is absolutely one of the major performance metrics we wanna look at um, as part of the SRTP uh, process. The reason most routes aren't meeting their subsidy target is because when your board adopted those targets in 2018, the uh, inflation increases were very limited. It was limited to 5% every two years, um, which as you know, and especially since COVID, that really has not, inflation has been much higher than 5% every two years. So that is a big part of the reason why we're not meeting those targets. So just readjusting those targets to account for accurate inflation since 2018 and to allow for accurate inflation going forward is going to be a big part of that. But we're going to do a larger process of really looking at what are appropriate subsidy targets um, as, as part of the reevaluation for that. Help me understand why you would go to CPI for your escalation rather than like actual costs or something else. So, so the uh, adopted metric in 2018 was not CPI. It was just 5% every two years. And it does not allow us to increase the subsidy target beyond that, regardless of what actual inflation is. But no, the, the, the metric is a, was a number. And yeah. then you had an escalation factor yes. that was, I'm sure it wasn't pulled out of thin air, but it was uh, adopted without linkage to some sort of escalation right. methodology somewhere. Right. Um, and now you want, you're, you're suggesting CPI. Wouldn't it make more sense to go to something related to, I don't know, maybe we're in transit in revenue or cost? That, that or may be what we choose to do. We're going to look at all, all the options when we do that evaluation. So I, I don't know what, what the decision will be. It's just, it's something that we're considering. Thank you. Yeah, I can just add in that yeah, I, I think yes, absolutely. We're not we're not going to necessarily tie it to CPI because we do have contracts in place, as you noted earlier. So there are contract costs. Um, I think you know fuel has always been tricky to uh, predict, and so I think that was the reason, you know, kind of the logic and what went into the estimates when we had an adopted methodology for increasing it back in 2018. We just missed, to be honest, and kind of missed the mark with some of our contract renegotiations and with, with fuel pricing, I would say, is generally one of the reasons we probably didn't capture the costs as accurately as, as they have actually occurred. So great idea to re rethink it, I think. Eric. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I've got one on, on slide seven where you show uh, how Marin Transit is performing. Um, pre-COVID percent of ridership compared to the other fixed route um, bus operators. I'm just curious, have we been able to, I mean, it's great that we're doing so well. What is so different about Marin Transit to these other systems? Are these other transit systems 
back to their service levels pre-pandemic. I know other transit agencies were a little slower to restore service. Is there anything we could learn from this? I think a slower to restore service is a really big piece of it. Um, as as you know, um, we're in transit. We chose not to cut our core service during COVID. We did cut Yearwoods and Supplemental, but the core local service was not cut at all during COVID. So we didn't lose riders in the same way that other services did when they cut service more significantly. I think that's a really good lesson learned for retaining ridership is having that reliable service that's not going to go away. Yeah, if I can just add in, I think that, yeah, so uh, riders didn't choose an alternative and then stick with it. You know, so if they chose, if they had a car available or other means, they they didn't make that switch because they knew our service was still there. And so some of the other operators were didn't do that or were unable to do it. So, uh, you know, and, and then the other thing is, of course, during COVID, we actually, uh, during the social distancing requirements, we actually increased service. So I think, you know, that made it even more attractive in some ways. I mean, it was to reduce overcrowding on, on, at that time, but um, that's one. And then the other point was that um, the Marin County schools came back sooner and were back in mm-hmm. session sooner than a lot of the schools in the Bay Area. So we did see our student ridership come back earlier. Yeah, no, I, pre- I, I think it's just a, a good lesson learned every time I see this slide. And this one's, I think, different because it's just comparing to fixed route bus. Right. Um, you know, there's there's always the argument in the public that, you know, running empty buses or all the or the fear of running empty buses. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this shows that when you cut service, um, you might not ever get those riders back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's worth it for maybe, you know, to endure that, you know, maybe less than full buses so that the public understands that service is there. Um, I'll be curious to see how this uh, trends out over the next couple of years. Um, certainly the other agencies are growing a little bit faster from 22 to 23. Um, but will there, you know, a couple of years from now, will there be permanent, you know, maybe ridership loss that can never be recovered and just something for us to keep in mind, um, you know, as, as hard times might, might come in the future or, or difficult decisions need to be made. Um, I think we made the right move and it shows in the numbers. So great job. Stephanie. Yeah, I had a, a similar question about this same slide and and or really a comment, but I know that we have spent a lot of time testing our service and developing again a very tailored approach to who's using it. And so my impression is the reason we have such high ridership is not only what you just said we didn't cut the service, but that we sized it and we and we offered it to the people that really needed it. Mm-hmm. And is it also true that the transit uh, agencies some of them are having great challenges because they've lost their commuter market, which is not the case here. These are transit-dependent riders, and they still need the transit as opposed to other riders. So is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I think so. I'll just jump in here. Yeah, certainly, and, and we only include the bus here, but there are our express bus riders who were going into San Francisco regularly, and you know we've talked about that a number of times, that you know, we, we don't have quite that same uh, ridership that, it, you know, the commute service into San Francisco that some of the, even some of our suburban operators do. So, yeah, that's it. So I, so I guess my comment is that we, we really ought to stand by and say every chance we get that the reason we have right, high ridership is because we've done the right things and we've gone after the target market that we have. It's not, it's not by chance. We, we've done it right. So thank you. Good job. Yeah. Okay. Um, Asher, thank you. So I have just um, 
And this may be deeper in the report. I'm looking at the productivity targets mm -hmm. and what I would love to see. And if you can, you can direct me to where it is in the report and bring it back at it another time is where were our productivity levels? Um, and I'm looking at slide five. What did that look like in say pre COVID um, to see, and this is towards seeing what's ha have there been changes in the way our residents are using our service. You know, so some may look fairly the same, maybe anyway, I'd be really curious to see what's happening out there in terms of what folks are doing. Mm -hmm. yeah, and the productivity I, target should show that, of course, there's been service changes as well, but but still. Yeah, I can absolutely prepare a slide that shows that system-wide for you. If you look at the appendix to the report, each route profile at the very end will have a five-year graph of productivity. Okay. So you can see that on an individual route level, but we can certainly prepare something that compares that across the system for you. No, that's that's great. That's great. I think that I, what I'm thinking about is what a, what is our community wanting um, that we don't necessarily recognize yet? Oh. And if there's, we can probably measure it a little bit, but I'm wondering if there's a way for us to get out there in the community in terms of short rate, short range transit planning exercise to see if we can capture um, what's not there that people might go after. You know, um, Director Rice, one of the things I'm trying to connect in my head is all the commentary that we've received at the Board of Soups about offering services to seniors and not doing adequate. And yet this is a market that has not come back particularly in our ridership. And so, I, again, I think we know there may be reasons and reluctance to ride and be in community again. But it, it is curious for all the commentary we get on the dais about needing to provide service. We do provide it and then it doesn't get used as much. So just a comment. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mary, go if ahead. If I could just follow up on that. I mean, I, I think this is where focus groups are really mm -hmm. important to get, you know, back supervisor Moulton Peters to your point of high school kids, like how they're going to respond is way different than how seniors is, are going to respond versus low-income adults. So just spending that time to find the focus groups to figure out what they really want is, mm -hmm. is probably time well spent rather than the, you know, what we think they need. Okay. All right. Any um, members of the public here in the chambers want to speak on, an, on this item? See none. Anyone online? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hands on Zoom. There are no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Okay, so looking for a motion to accept the 2022-23 system performance report. Okay. And I just want to, I'm just commenting, I'm just thinking about what uh, Director Moulton Peter said and uh, Director Sack had said about, you know, what, what our what the aging members of the population want. When you go to the focus groups, there's just an incredible amount of confusion. I, I just think, particularly among the seniors between Marin Transit and, and the fact that we contract with Golden, Golden Gate. And so often when I sort of hear a level of frustration or it, it's not with Marin Transit, it's like with Golden Gate or, or, a, or a loss a, a loss of travel patterns back and forth to the city that no longer exists anymore. So it just, I just sort of encounter that more often than I would have suspected. So I would just encourage you to sort of see if there's anything there in the focus group. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. And you know what I would also add, um, 
I think we need to understand better what the impact is for those for those folks who are still or commuting to the city, maybe not five days a week, um, where, and we, we saw a lot of loss of service on the Golden Gate side, uh, and then some of our route service, I'm not sure where it went in terms of going to the ferry or not, but we know the ferry doesn't serve everybody who goes to the city in terms of destination, but I think it's probably worth um, trying to also take in a focus group that's, that is focused on our regional commuters who rely on Marin Transit potentially to connect them to the regional transit. All right. So with that, did we get a motion? Oh, I cut you off. So uh, I'll move. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you didn't cut me off. Okay. Motion. <laughs> motion. Colbert. Second. Thanks, Director Sackett. All those in favor. Aye. Any opposed? See none. Your report is accepted. And more to come on both the finances and the system performance. All right. So with that, uh, thank you, everyone. We are adjourned. Thank you.